Good morning. I know this morning is a bit cold, but for us saying it's uh, 10 degrees, it doesn't compare, say, like in Toronto, it's negative 1, or in Calgary, it's negative 19, or I have friends in Mongolia, it's negative 28. So I guess we can say that this really isn't that cold. But it's good to come together as we celebrate uh, the Advent and the coming of Christ. And we've been able to uh, celebrate looking at various themes of hope and faith and love. And this week, looking at... Um, looking at peace, and really realizing how important uh, peace is. So if you look at that, I will ask this question, what really is the meaning of, of peace? You know, this definition that we have, it's like a, a state of quiet or tranquility, uh, a freedom from disturbance or agitation, and calm and repose. So if you use this definition, could you say that right now you're in a state of peace? And thinking about what real peace is, you know, we have peace treaties where there's a war going on, and then they decide, both sides, to have this kind of a pause and have a treaty that they're not going to fight, at least for a certain time. And the first um, written peace treaty was back in 1274 B.C. Now, writing then wasn't with a pen, but actually etching it in and having this treaty, which was between the Egyptians and the height. Uh, Hittite empires. Now you can imagine that they were at war for 200 years, fighting over the eastern Mediterranean areas of land. And after 200 years, they decided to then have this peace treaty. But even as this treaty was being signed, there was a lot of enmity and a lot of hatred that was still there. And it took 15 more years before they really came to a true sense of peace. Do you think about this thing of there's like a peace treaty, you could have surrender, where one side just gives up and puts down its arm and just says, I surrender. Then there's the uh, ceasefire that both parties will say, we're going to agree to just stop and have a ceasefire. And then there's the armistice agreement to come to say, we're going to stop the hostilities and we're going to stop fighting, but there's no real sense of what peace will mean. My brother and I used to play this game, Risk. How many of you played that before? It's a great board game. And we used to play um, very long hours. And we would have everything, all the other armies on the, on the board and trying to take over and dominate the world. And I remember playing with my brother. We would uh, play for long hours and then we'd go to sleep, wake up and everything, everything would stay the same. And none of us would move the parts to move your army in the middle of the night and then continue again the next day. And it was a game that we really liked to play. So when I um, had my son, I also taught him to play. Except he actually is smarter than me, and he just dominated the entire world. And I remember how he began to conquer one country after another, continent after continent. And then he stranded me in South America. And here I am like in, like in Venezuela by myself. And he says, Dad, I know you like this kind of food, so you can just stay there. And I won't wipe you out from the, from the face of the earth. And I says, I can just feel the love, you know, <laughs> that my son could dominate the whole world. But you think about that game, Risk. You know, you put all the armies there and you start fighting. And to consider what it would mean to come to agreement to have peace. And it was in 1953 that uh, the Korean uh, Peninsula was at war, and they finally came to this armistice agreement. And I think about it, they actually, this was the longest negotiation in the history of these wars that took 158 meetings over two years to finally come to this agreement. And even in the agreement, 
it did not bring peace. It just meant that the, the, the uh, armies decided to no longer keep fighting. And it was not signed by, by the countries of North and South Korea. It was actually signed by the general of the U.S. Army and the general uh, in the armies of, of the Koreas and also in the Chinese armies. A trilingual document signed that we're not going to fight anymore. So you think about it now. There really, although this is kind of agreement that's been there, there is no peace. There's still a lot of things happening that really show the hostility. And so you think about peace. It's really not just the absence of war or the absence of conflict. Because right now, there really technically is not any fighting per se, but there isn't peace that we can see. So you kind of understand, what is this biblical concept of peace? What does it mean? It's something deeper than just not having the sense of, of fighting, but the sense of something more complete. And the word is shalom. It sounds like a beautiful word. Even when you say it, you kind of feel good. Let's say it together with me. Shalom. Okay, now turn to someone next to me and say, Shalom. Shalom. Doesn't that feel good, you know? I mean, it's a great Hebrew word. And you just kind of feel this warm, fuzzy thing, you know, Shalom, you know. <laughs> and I guess in Chinese, like, ping on, you say the word, and it just makes you feel very good. But, you know, the word Shalom is it's more than just the absence of conflict, but it's like this harmony. You just feel everything is in the right place. This sense of completeness and, and, and the wholeness. And this kind of a, a concept in Hebrew really is a much deeper concept than what we think of peace. There's no more conflict, there's no more war. And there's a sense of, of fullness that is in this kind of, um, of this peace that's filled our hearts and a wholeness. Now, you think about the, the Hebrew word shalom, and then the Greek word, you know, uh, enrene, this sense of peace. Now, you think about what it means to have shalom. Now, the concept is that here we have this, this uh, courtyard, and there's homes, and there's people, there's animals, and there's all these things going on, and lots of things that could go wrong. So basically, when we say shalom, it's like in the midst of all these things happening that's very complex, there is peace. There is wholeness. There is harmony. And everything is going well as it should. And that's kind of a state of shalom, much more than just, you know, there's no problems but actually it's very, very good. And to have this kind of um, you know, building of Legos, you know, I love Legos. Now, I've never been able to have a masterpiece like this. Can you imagine all the pieces that put together to, to make this, uh, this one beautiful structure? And each of those pieces are so important. What's the worst thing? Is that when you finish the whole thing, there's like five people, pieces missing from very prominent places. And you try to look for it. Or you've done those puzzles, those 1,000-piece puzzles, and you spend weeks doing it, and you finish the puzzle, and all of a sudden, there's six things missing, six pieces, and you try to find it, and you can't. And it's not really complete. And that's what it means to have this shalom, that it is all there. It is whole, and it really is complete. And so we have life. It's very complex. There's many things that can happen. But when it is complete and it is in harmony, it is a whole, then you have this real sense that there is shalom and that life then comes together as one, one piece. And when it is not, when things are not in order and things need to be restored, things need to be reconciled, and that's where you feel the sense of things are in disorder. 
You know, and think about these COVID restrictions that we've had for these past few years and happening even around the world, that there's been so many people wanting to be together, but they can't. And they're separated because of these restrictions and limitations in travel. I found myself, you know, a year ago in the U.S. trying to come back to Hong Kong. And of course, because of how it was uh, having these waves in, in, in the U.S., we were one of the countries that were blocked and, and no longer could fly to Hong Kong. And so I was trying to get back. So then I found a way. I would fly to Singapore because they were open and then waited out in Singapore until I qualified from Singapore to come back to Hong Kong. It was a very roundabout way, but that was the only way I could get back to Hong Kong. And you think about so many families even today that are still just trying to come back together and to be together as a family. So many family and life events happening without all the family members there. And so in the past several years, we could really say that it has been difficult for us to be in a state of shalom because there's always been something not quite there and not in the pieces. And that kind of a sense of a season where in life you may have relationship conflicts, you have financial stress, you have things that are out of your control, health and other issues. And when all those things are happening, that's when we don't sense that it's quite whole and complete. And that's when we don't have that sense of, of shalom. And shalom as a verb is quite a powerful word. It's not just a, a state or a noun. But in, in Scripture, like in Exodus 21 and 22, there's a description of what to do if you mess up someone's property. If you kind of damage their, their property, if you harm their cattle, their, their animals, what you have to do to restore and to reinstate because you've done something to someone else's property. And so the word that's used is really, if there's material loss, you need to then restore, make it good, make a restitution, and to make it whole. And those words each time really is the word shalom. You need to shalom it. You need to bring it back to this shalom because of what you've, what you've done. And this is a real sense of that these, the word of peace is really wholeness or restoration or completeness. Completeness in your mind, your body, and your soul that it's all brought back together in proper balance. You know, in Joseph, when he was, um, his brothers came to Egypt trying to, to look for food and for grain, and then Joseph had not revealed his identity yet. Now, you ever try this? He would said, he says, he talks to his brothers as if he doesn't know them, and he's going through an interpreter as if he doesn't know how to speak their language. So really, you can imagine that when you've spoken uh, in front of people and they don't think you understand what they're saying. <laughs> in reality, you know, Joseph knew exactly what they're saying, but he spoke through an interpreter to hide his identity. And, and the things that he said to them, and he kind of probably was very kind of cold, and he, says, he asked them, you know, how's your well-being? You know, how are you doing? You know, how's your shalom? And then he says, is your father well? the one that you spoke of, this, this old man, you know, is he still alive? And I'm sure Joseph is holding back because he's really concerned about his father. But going through this interpreter, asking that, and then they say that, oh, yes, our, our father, he is in good, good health. He is alive. Now, these words are used. It's kind of like saying, you know, Joseph's asking his brothers, how's your shalom? You know, is your father, how is his, his shalom? Oh, his shalom is good. And it's a sense of that word is used in this passage. And when it's translated in other languages, this is what makes sense. 
But in, in concept, this is what it sh the shalom means, the well-being of or the good health of. And that's a, a, a deeper concept than just say, you have peace. In other words, there's no conflict. Things are okay. But actually, shalom is very, very deep. So like for Solomon, when he built the temple, he finished building the temple. You can see that the temple has all these parts in the structure. And finally, when he finishes it, he has shalom. He has completed and, and brought that to this, this final state. So whatever we have that sometimes is broken, like this wall could have been broken, but then we put brick by brick and we put it back. And as we do, we take what is broken and then we restore it and we make it complete. And that's the most powerful part. And you think about in, in, uh, in a war, when the kings were fighting, you know, in the Old Testament where they were fighting, it wasn't just to say that we would come to, to no longer fight and stop fighting. It was going one step further, that not only did we stop fighting, but now we work together for the benefit of each other. So it's one thing to say that we will stop fighting and then we have no longer war, but it's much deeper to say we will then now work together for the benefit of each other. And this is really a deeper sense of peace. And this concept of not just not having conflict, but having something much deeper, something very, very important. It was on December 7th in 1941 that the Japanese decided that they were going to bomb Pearl Harbor and to surprise the US uh, military and to bring attack. And so that in a matter of one hour, they were able to come and to bring incredible devastation. And in one hour, 180 aircraft were destroyed and dozens of ships and 2,400 of the, of the military were killed just in one hour. And to imagine at that time, that 75 years later, that the, um, the, uh, uh, the, the very prime minister of Japan would be there in Pearl Harbor to then commemorate all the lives that were lost and to come in a point of humility of asking for forgiveness on behalf of Japan. I mean, that would seem almost inconceivable. And as then President Obama stated, he said, um, we don't have to be defined by the conflicts of the past. We can honor the sacrifice of those who fought, but we can forge a new beginning through a lasting peace. And this is something that was pursued to see that two countries that fought bitterly in the war came together and rebuilt peace. And this is very rare to see this kind of working together and building the, the, the country economically, working together and collaborating, that now there is a, a very sense deep of peace uh, between Japan and the United States. And to have this kind of engagement and interaction to see um, a prime minister come in humility before the very soldiers that were there during that time. And this kind of sense of, of reconciliation is very, very rare. And to see that we can go beyond the conflict at that time. And so you talk about shalom. This is the kind of peace that we're talking about. There's not just no war, but something even more complete. And to see this come together is what we can understand Jesus coming to be this shalom. In other words, he is uh, our, sh our, our shalom, and there will be 
shalom. And that's what it's saying here in Isaiah, that the sense of coming of Jesus, he is this shalom that is coming and the peace that he's going to bring. And even the disciples themselves, they were looking for something even more. I mean, there were those that were the, the, the zealots, the Jewish zealots, that wanted to see a revolution. They wanted to come and see how they could have a revolution against this Roman control. And yet Jesus came not to bring that kind of revolution, but that he came as a human, as a child, born with a destiny on the cross. That he didn't come to bring that kind of revolution, but one that was much deeper. And that we look at this season of Christmas, that the reason was that he would then come, the, the one that would die on the cross. And see, this kind of a journey. We celebrate Christmas, but then we look towards Good Friday and Easter. That Christ is born, he comes in humility and obedience to the point of death, and then after dying, to have victory in this resurrection. So we see this powerful imagery and why Christ came, that he came as this shalom, as this peace, and it took his obedience and death for that to happen. So that's why we want to look at the very powerful work that Christ did on the cross. Here in Ephesians, we can read about the powerful ways that Jesus' death on the cross, his shed blood, made a difference. So it says here, remember that at that time that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this is really powerful. You know, now I would look around here and say that I think we are all Gentiles. I'm not aware of any Jews in our present, or maybe you might have some Jewish ancestry somewhere, but I can dare say we all here are Gentiles. We are those that have been, in a sense, separate from the Jews. We are those that are, have been without hope, without the opportunity to really have this kind of peace, that we have been the ones on the other side of this, of this hostile wall because we are unholy and we are those that don't have this freedom and opportunity like the Jews did. And so what it's saying is that Christ, as he came, that he then, through his blood, was able to bring us that were far away as Gentiles to be able to have this, this sense of reconciliation and hope, that we could then have peace that comes through Christ. So it says here that he, is, he himself is our peace, and he's made two groups, one, and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. So if you can imagine, let's say that we have on one side Jews and Gentiles, if I can just <laughs> divide this, this group here, and there's this, there's this wall in between. And it's a, it's a huge wall that because of all the requirements that the Jews and Gentiles could not come together. And what Christ did was that he came to destroy this barrier and there's no more this hostility in the middle. And then we continue to read that his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. In other words, between the two peoples that could not come together, he made them into one. And in one body, in Jesus' body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. 
So this is a powerful imagery to see that, that God brought this, this reconciliation between peoples that they themselves could no longer come together, but through what Christ did was able to destroy that wall and to bring peace so that we can see this coming together of peoples that otherwise could not come together. And he came together to bring this incredible deep peace. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. In other words, to Gentiles and to Jews. And through him, we both have access to the Father through one spirit. So this is reconciliation of the people to each other. And then there's this access that we now have to the Father through one spirit, through the same spirit. So there's several things happening with this kind of shalom that's happening, this peace. This shalom is between these people that otherwise could not connect, and this other peace is with God, that we have a restoration uh, through God. And both of us are actually receiving that shalom in the same way, this reconciliation. We're able to be restored with each other and then also with God. And I think that's a powerful work to imagine that peoples that otherwise could not come together, and yet they can do that because of who Christ is and what he did on the cross. So then, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and are also uh, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Now that's amazing. That means that people that otherwise would be at hostility with each other can now be in the same household, in the same family. You know, I was in seminary. Uh, we lived in this house, and I think I shared before that we called it the Jesus house because our phone number was using the, the numbers on the dial. It was 77-JESUS. And we actually went through and got this phone number so everyone in the seminary knew about this house, and he would, they would call us the guys that live at the Jesus house. And it was five of five guys. And the five guys, we had a, an American, a Native, Native American, uh, and then we had Japanese, Indian, Chinese, and Korean. And we're all living in the same house together, and we're very good friends. And we thought about it because all of our parents' generation were at war with each other. And many times you could say that the parents couldn't understand how can you live with this other person? Did you know that our parents were in, fighting in a war? And I grew up hearing these things about the enemies of our family ancestors, you know. And yet, in our generation, we could live together in the same place. And there's a real sense of fellowship in this, in this house. And this is the kind of a representation that although theoretically we should not be able to be friends, but in Christ, we can. And there's this real sense of that we are now in the same household, working together. And I've been able to be in different places in the world, and I've been so privileged to be in international fellowships. Because international fellowships, you have people from all over the world. And then to serve in an organization, we have over 30 different nationalities in our organization. And so when we meet together, we have people from so many different countries. And what is so beautiful is that as I see people serving in the same ministry, we come from places that uh, our families and our countries may still be at war with each other, that there's actually a lot of historical conflict. And yet, through who we are in Christ, 
by the shed blood of Christ, we then now are able to work together and to have this sense of, of real collaborating together as one body. And this can only happen because of who Christ is. Because if you look outside, in all our home countries, there's still a lot of tension that is going on. And yet because of who we are in Christ. You think about this <clears throat> uh, being built on this foundation and that Christ himself is the cornerstone. And that in him, in Christ, this whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, this is really powerful, this coming together, because it's using the imagery of a whole building that is joined together. And this building that comes together then rises up to be a holy temple. Now, I, I remember um, a few years ago, I was on a business trip, and I came back uh, to Hong Kong, and uh, I was going to my office, and I recognized this, this, uh, there was a, a, a factory building, and it was gone. It was like, it was, like, it was there the, f the week that I was here, but over the weekend, I came back, and the building was gone. So I asked the shopkeepers what happened, and they said, oh, they're going to build another tower, office tower. So I looked at that, and it's like, the building's gone like that. And then over a year, all I could do was hear this pounding. And this pounding, I didn't see anything being built. I just heard the pounding. And they were pounding for a year because they're getting the foundation. And after a year, I began to see this thing budding up. And slowly, for another year and a year and a half, finally we began to see this office high-rise go up. But for the first year, I couldn't see anything. It was just a foundation. That's how deep they had to go to make this building that high. And when it was all together, it fitted together as this, this building joint together. It was amazing. Because I, I saw this factory building before, and then it was a very old factory building. And now we see this brand new, you know, grade A class, huge office structure. It is solid. And, you know, typhoons will come, all these winds blow, but this building is so solid and put together. And I really think that Hong Kong buildings are built quite well, because I've been in many parts of Asia, and you've seen during earthquakes that they crumble and they fall. But Hong Kong has been very good to create these amazing structures. So now I walk, every, every time I go to my office, I see this huge building, and I think of all that went into it to build this, this building that is so firm, is so strong. And you think about us as the body of Christ, that Christ is the cornerstone. And built on the, the cornerstone of Christ, and then upon the foundation of the apostles and the, the prophets' teaching of the truth and of what Jesus did, that we then now have the body of Christ that is firm. It should be solid. And this whole building is joint together. We then are part of the body. We join together, and then we then become this, this holy temple. So the Spirit dwells amongst us. So as we are the body of Christ, built by the blood of Christ, we then can fellowship together. And we can then be together and the Holy Spirit can move amongst us. And that's what we have now. This amazing body of Christ because of what Christ did for us. And so we are really no longer separated. We're no longer multiple peoples, but we are one people, one body, no matter the past and situation that we have. We're like a family. We're like one household and we are coming together and we rise up together as a holy temple. And I think that's a, a beautiful imagery of the truth of who we are 
in Christ. Which means that we have to become the people that bring about this restoration process for those that are not yet in the body of Christ. We then reflect that to the community that as they see the body of Christ, we become agents of reconciliation as we reconcile with them, as we help them reconcile with God. And this is a very important part of what it means to be involved uh, in, in creating peace. Because see, true peace requires that we take what is broken True peace requires we take what is broken and then we work to restore it to wholeness. And this really can only happen in Christ. So it's not just our own efforts, our own abilities, but it's something deeper than that. That as we've been transformed, as we have been transformed in our relationship with God, that we can then be an agent to bring restoration to those around us. But you know, it's not just between Jews and Gentiles. It's not just between one group, one race, versus another race. It's something that's even more beautiful than that. You know, I, I've, I come from a church in California that uh, is right in the middle of Silicon Valley, and is the, probably the most diverse uh, county in the U.S. If you see someone who is Caucasian that speaks native English, it's very rare, <laughs> because the vast majority are from the world, from all these other countries. And to see uh, people from so many places come together and worship together, then it's just a powerful thing. So in my, in my home church, we have not just Cantonese, Mandarin, and English, but then you have Vietnamese, Cambodian, and Indonesian languages spoken with Spanish and the uh, Arab church, all together as one body with many different languages. And it's part of a reflection of who we are in the body of Christ. So we see that diversity maybe ethnically, uh, and they can come together. But one thing that I think is more important for us to always remember is that no matter where we are, even politically, that we can be in one body of Christ. And in the past several years, this is something that has really been a burden in my heart, is to see that, that although we are one body, you know, in the theological sense, that we've seen that the church, I'm speaking generally within Hong Kong, has been divided politically, and that there's really strong convictions of political views. And without even talking about what those views are, I'm just looking at the, the state of the church, that the body of Christ ought to be as one because of what Christ has done, and it should be able to permeate through those differences so that we can then be one body in Christ. And when I was back in the U.S. for a while, I was really at shock at how the country had polarized since I was last there. And, and I'm in the, this one church. These are my, my wonderful friends that I've known for so many years. And I know that they have known each other for so long. But then in recent years, because of the political differences, I began to see a divide. And my heart was deeply grieved because I know of this, this body of Christ, that, that this, this fellowship that we ought to be having. And yet it was disrupted because there were different views that could not be reconciled. And then I found myself trying to be very careful about having a conversation. It's like, okay, is he pro, is he not, you know, is against, and, and trying to understand. Things as simple as a mask, things as simple as a vaccination, things as, as simple as things that we would think are not morally attached or spiritually attached had become very uh, elevated that actually there was division. And I found myself in a very awkward position because I came back and I wasn't sure who the, the, the pros and cons were and I, I, I having these very uh, conversations. And I asked myself, 
Should I be that nervous? Should I be that concerned? This is the body of Christ. I should be able to be so free. And I think that's why we look at it in the whole world, that the believers globally have been divided by many things, whether it's politics, whether it's other economic things, that there is a huge divide. And when we talk about this, this passage here, that we ought to be knitted together as one whole building, to become as one body based on what Christ did, that he is the cornerstone. And by his shed blood, he's reconciled us to him and given us the ability to be reconciled to each other. And that's how it should be. And I think that's why as I, th I think about the sense of what it means to be in the body of Christ. And another area is not just uh, those kind of divisions, but even different denominations. That we take one Bible, and then the, within the interpretation of the Bible, there becomes to be different denominations that emphasize certain nuances and certain beliefs. Some in a minor way, some in a major way, leading us to have many different denominations. And that's one of the things that we see, is that within Hong Kong, there are all the major denominations of the world represented here. And yet we see in many other closed countries that were not open to receive a lot of this influence, that in many closed countries, there isn't this divide of many different denominations, but rather the church that follows Christ, because they didn't have that influence and an influx of denominationals coming in to set up their own camp and their own way of teaching. And so we see that in many closed countries, that the church of Christ actually becomes very pure and based on the scripture and not so much by all the different influences. So as I look at who we are in Christ, that's the question I ask, is that can we reflect that and to have this sense of being able to have one body of Christ based on what Christ did for us. And then the, the last area is looking at our peace, the sense of having this a deeper peace. What I mean by that is, in this passage here, it says um, in John 14, um, peace I leave with you, peace I give you. And Jesus says, I do not give to you as the world gives. And do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. So here we look at a contrast of the world's peace and the peace that Jesus brings. The world's peace then is temporary and has many circumstances that the peace that the world gives can be conditional, can change. And what Jesus is saying here is that the peace that he gives is a peace that um, we ought not to be troubled. It's a peace that is full of shalom, that is wholeness, and a peace that we do not need to be afraid. It's a very different kind of a peace. The other passage in John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So this sense of, of peace that Jesus is saying is a peace that is not because of the absence of trouble. In fact, Jesus says you will have trouble. So it's not that we're not going to have any of, this, of the uh, difficulties. But he says that this peace comes because what does it say? I have overcome the world. In other words, it's not because currently in the present time you won't have any troubles. You will. But the end outcome is that Jesus has already overcome everything. So that although from our viewpoint, we see that this is trouble, we see the issues, we see the conflict, and then from God's viewpoint, he sees victory. Because in the end, he sees what he's already done, and there's this victory, and that's how this peace comes. 
not based on the circumstances, but based on the victory, because Jesus, he has already overcome the world. Have you been watching the, the World Cup? Yes. <laughs> if you can imagine on the World Cup, if you are on this team, and you know, you just know that you are going to be winning, and you're going to have the World Cup, and you just know that. So during this whole time in every game, because you know the end result, you know the end thing, it's very true, then as you play, you have a certain confidence because you might have a setback, you might have lost that goal, but you know at the end, you will win. And that brings a certain sense of confidence and say that you can not be discouraged when you have these setbacks. And in reality, in our life, we will have many setbacks. We will have troubles. There will be difficulties. But our focus is not on the current setback and trouble, but it's on what Christ has said, that I have overcome. So in other words, in all the things that truly matter for eternity, the things that really, really matter, there is victory. And all these other things that we may, we may stumble and we may have frustrations and we have these difficulties, it's okay because this is all part of something that is greater. And in the end, Jesus has overcome. And that's why when we reach this point, we can then have a real inner peace. So what I'm really going to say today is this shalom. This shalom is for us to be reconciled with God and that our relationship with God is made whole. Not just that there isn't any bad vibes, but it's very positive, it's very whole, it's complete. There's harmony in our relationship with God. And then the secondly is that we have this peace with others around us. Those that are in, uh, in our community, those that are in our fellowship, those that are in church, we can truly be in this sense of peace. Shalom. You know, because we've reached that point that because of the blood of Christ, we can be at peace with one another. There is no conflict that is greater and more powerful than the blood of Christ. So no matter what conflict we may have ever experienced, the blood of Christ is even greater. So we can have that shalom with one another. And thirdly, is that peace, the inner peace. That because of who Christ is, because of what he has done, because of the victory, because of him already overcoming the world, that we can then have this inner peace. That we can sense the completeness, that it's restored. And that in our hearts, we can have this shalom. So my encouragement this morning is to ask you to look. Are you at peace with God? in your relationship? Have you been able to receive and understand this peace and what Christ has done for you? Are you at peace with those around you? Is there any relationship, any situation that needs to be worked through so that there is a true sense of shalom? And then thirdly, are you at inner peace? You have inner peace. You have a real deep sense of wholeness that's inside of you. Uh, that you're fully restored and complete. So this morning, whether it is with God, with each other, or within yourself, my prayer is that you would have this real deep sense of shalom. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you for the word that you give to us and the truth that is so liberating and that, Lord, despite any situation we may be in, that we can experience this this shalom, this, this harmony, this peace, this completeness. And Father, I pray that for everyone here that you would help us to have this restored relationship with you 
and that we can deal with any of the issues, any areas of sin that are not pleasing to you, that your blood on the cross is sufficient to pay for all the sins and to bring us into full restoration with you. I pray, Father, for our relationships with one another and that we would come to a real peace with one another, to have relationships that honor you, that is solid, that is like the foundation of a building that is so interwoven together that cannot be destroyed, and that your work of peace would be made complete in our relationships with one another. And Father, that we would have an inner peace, that we can experience this sense of wholeness in our whole, in our in our hearts, in our souls, that we can experience the completeness of who you have made us to be. So I pray, Father, this morning that you would pour out your grace, pour out your love, that we can experience the completeness of this shalom.